you have to find what is good, true, and beautiful in your life now. And not look back. You don't compare an apple with a pear. You say, I'm 70 or 60, 50. What is it like to be 50 and to live a good life at 50? It's not the same as 30. So I think the envy, the competitiveness, the sense of differentness all have to be looked at carefully for you to find out what really matters. That is the voice of Maury Schwartz. I am Mitch Album, the author of the book Tuesdays with Maury, about my time with my old college professor, who you heard there, as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease and spent one last class with me over a period of months, uh, teaching me what was most important in life once we really realize that we're going to die. And we've turned that into a podcast that looks at some of those lessons. In hindsight, even though it was 25 years ago that I sat alongside Maury's bedside. And that quote that you heard is particularly pertinent today. And to our guest, who's going to join us on the program today, Patricia Heaton. Lisa Goitz, my friend and producer, is alongside as always. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Mitch. Good to have you here. And a very special guest joining us today. You know, A lot of times we just talk about some of Maury's lessons. But periodically, we invite some guests in to talk about some things that are related to them. And I'm really happy to welcome Patricia Heaton, whose work I have admired uh, for a long time uh, on the on the screens, including in Everybody Loves Raymond in the middle, uh, most recently Carol's second act. Uh, but it's her philosophy and a book that she's written about it called Your Second Act, which interested us in having her come on the program because... There are many passages in life, and Maury spoke to me about them quite a bit, that we go through. And one of them is when we sort of realize we're going to have to take a turn, uh, perhaps in middle age, perhaps because of a a life change or uh, a death in the family, a job change, a relocation, a divorce. There are many, many things that cause us to sort of have to turn and face what could be referred to as a second act. And we thought it'd be great to have Patricia come on talk about all that. So she joins us here now on Tuesday People. Hi, Patricia. Hi, how's everybody doing? We're doing great. Thanks for spending a little time with us here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, all of us reach a certain age in our lives where we have to face some kind of change. Uh, It could be that our kids are just out of the house. It could be a divorce. It could be we suddenly have a health setback. What for you sort of was the biggest eye-opener that inspired you not only to make changes like that, but to ultimately put it down in this book? Well, I think, um, you know, first of all, for all of us, this pandemic has made everybody have to take a look at their lives. And, you know, some people are going to be forced to pivot because they've lost their job. Other people have had time to reflect on how they're spending their lives and maybe wanting to make a change. And for me personally, um, I think for a a long time, um, I've, wanted to be in more in philanthropy and the timing just wasn't right. Um, and a few years ago I became an empty nester and, um, and then recently my show that the book was inspired from Carol Sickneck was canceled as sort of a pandemic, uh, you know, um, casualty issue. and, uh, casualty. 
And um, but so I've been leaning in the last few years more into my work with World Vision um, as sort of the area that I feel I can take all the blessings I've been given and, you know, use that platform that I now have to help bring clean water around the world to people who don't have it and education in particular to girls. Um, so I think it was sort of just the timing in my life that allowed me to take some, a breather and find that second act along yeah. with producing. So I've gotten more into producing on the career side, which I really, really love. And it's very, very, very challenging, but I think, um, you know, it, it keeps you growing when you are challenging yourself and sort of stepping out into areas that scare you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's producing movies for me. And also, I believe my next trip with World Vision is going to be to Bangladesh. And I'm a little concerned about going there, and which is why I feel like I should be going there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that's part of all our journeys, or, or should be or could be, if you're looking to, to really make the most of every minute we have here. Right. So you, you listed a lot of things there to unpack. And... Uh, all of them admirable in different ways. But it strikes me that if you were 27 years old and had had a show canceled, you might not have necessarily found your way to all these various things. You might have said, well, then where's my next show? I just got to get on a next show. Yeah. Or, you know, if, if, if somebody is listening to us in whatever field they're in, they might say, well, I got fired from uh, this marketing job. Where's my next marketing job? Or where am I going to go? But right. there seems to be something that kicks in at a certain age when you have seen enough of the world. And I don't mean to assign it a numerical age because it could be 40s, 30s, 60s, whatever. It yep. has more to do with like the, 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 the tread on your tires. You know, when you've had a certain amount of tread on your tires, yeah. you've seen enough of the world. They meant mentally you are open to doing some of those different things. What mentally yes. changed for you? Well, I think, you know, and I have lost many jobs through my 20s and 30s. Everybody Loves Raymond was actually my fourth sitcom. People hmm. don't realize I was in three other sitcoms before that. That didn't go anywhere. And so for me, you know, acting was a real inner desire and I think it's what I was created to be I've been sort of an extrovert performing type person since I could walk and talk so you know pursuing that to the end that I have and with every job that was canceled to continue to pursue it that uh, I think really made me keep because I hadn't quite gotten to where I wanted to be Now, after sort of nine years on Raymond and nine years on the middle, I had sort of explored comedy a lot. And so I think uh, I was feeling at that time that I needed something more. So I think that for me is why, you know, it was many years of pursuing the acting and then sort of pivoting more into uh philanthropy and then also into producing you know a lot of people say oh do you want to be a director i have no interest in being director not in my wheelhouse too many decisions have to be made Hmm. um but but producing i really like because i like developing scripts and i like reading i've always liked literature i like story so i think it's that when i sort of felt like i had fulfilled a lot of my um desires for my performing and acting career that i had 
opened up more to trying other things. Well, so you you touch on something there that's interesting. Uh, You're sort of saying, you know, I I had a dream of being a certain uh, kind of thing in my career. I got a chance to achieve that dream. You obviously achieved it on very high levels with uh, Everybody Loves Raymond in the Middle. Those are things that brought attention to you, fame to you, accolades to you, assume money to you. But then there comes a time, and I know because I've gone through this in my own life, and I've had my own version of all of those things uh, before mm-hmm. I became extremely involved in charities and orphanages and things like that. Then there co- seems to come a moment where it means more, it feels better, it seems more significant to do something for somebody else than it yeah. does for yourself. Now, did you go through yeah. that, and, and, and why do you share with us why you think that kicks in at a, at a well, certain for me, point? I was, yeah, I had very uh, strong Catholic upbringing, mm-hmm. and I used to observe my father, who was very worried about money, but once a month when he was paying his bills at the dining room table, he always was writing checks to charity. Now, I mm. knew he was concerned about money because we were never allowed to spend any money on anything. We had five <laughs> kids on a newspaperman's salary, you know, and, uh, you know, we kept a tight budget. But I noticed that he always gave to charity, and I knew that that was part of what, as Catholics, we were taught to do is to have concern for the poor. And uh, I, I struggled in New York for about nine years trying to have a, an act, trying to get an acting job after college, and and when I, I, I didn't achieve anything much there, and I moved to L.A., and it was like my last ditch of, like, am I going to drop out of acting? And I just happened to go to a, a weekend sort of mission trip to Mexico from L.A., mm-hmm. and um, I had a sort of an experience there of, like, gee, you know what? I Working with these kids in the orphanage, I could actually spend the rest of my life working at this orphanage instead of doing the acting thing. And that was a revelation to me because up to that point, it was like, I have to be an actor or, or blow myself up. Like there was mm-hmm. no other choice. And so I, I, you know, I kind of said to God at that moment as a Catholic, we're having regular conversations with God. And I said, uh, here's the deal. I think I could actually just work at that orphanage, but I'm starting to get some auditions now. So you tell me what you want to do. Cause now I'll do either one. I'll either keep auditioning, or if you want me to go to the orphanage, shut those auditions down. And I kept getting auditions. So, and, and one thing led to another, and I ended up having the career I have. But, you know, I realized that my last trip with World Vision, which was to Rwanda, I thought this was an either-or proposition. It was either be an actress or go work with the poor. And actually, God gave me both. I have had a wonderful and continue, hopefully we'll have a continuing wonderful career. And I've been to Rwanda, Uganda, Sierra Leone, Jordan, Zambia, hopefully going to Guatemala and Bangladesh. And so I realized, um, you know, it doesn't always necessarily have to be an either or thing. Sometimes it's just about timing and you're going to be able to do those things, all those things, just maybe not on the time schedule you thought it was going to be. I, I, it's so true, and uh, it, I, it's so funny when you say what you did about the orphanages, because I don't know if you're aware, but I run an orphanage in Haiti and have for the last 10 years. Oh, my and gosh. I, I'm there every month of my life and, and will be for the rest of my life, and we have 52 children yes. that we raise there. Oh, God and bless you. I, I always say for all the things that I have done and, 
and uh, you know, be they books or movies or anything like that. Nothing uh, compares to when I'm down there, and that I, even though it's extraordinarily hot, very uncomfortable, we're in a very poor section yep. of town. I sleep better there than I do anywhere else in the world, including whatever the nicest hotel I've ever stayed in and all the rest. I just sleep better there. I wake up uh, happier and easier, and, and, and I've, I've watched this for 10 years enough to say, okay, it's not the mattress. It's not, it's not the pillow. It's that sense of, uh, wow, you know, I've had a lot for myself. But here is something that the whole purpose I'm here and every month that I'm there, I, I don't do any other work. I just am dealing with the kids and all the issues that come up with running an orphanage. And it does give you a different sense of accomplishment. But you can live in both worlds. Like I don't I didn't move to Haiti. You know, I suppose I could do that sometime yep. in the future. But right now, I've got, a, I've got a life here as well. But when I'm there, I'm totally there. And I think that that's a valuable thing that you've shared with our, our listening audience because a lot of people think it has to be all or nothing. Like, I'm not going to do charity work until I'm totally retired and, uh, yep. you know, all the grandkids are gone and all the rest of it, and then I'll get around to doing it. But by that point, you know, we're lucky if we can walk outside on our own anymore. So that's how, right. much, how much help are you going to be? But it is possible to do <laughs> things concurrently if you just take yes. the attitude that I will make room in my life for something that yep. is totally different than what I'm doing in the other part of my life, which sounds like that's what you've That's right. Done. I totally agree with you. And, and, and look, at not everyone's going to have a huge change of career. A second act doesn't have to be completely abandoning what you've done for the last 20 years and, you know, opening a company or anything like that. It can be start with a small step like volunteering in your own community where you are needed in an area that you feel you have gifts. Right. And I, I completely agree with you. And I think you know, we're in a society right now that's a lot about self-care, and that's very good. But there's also an element about, uh, that we need to add to our life, and that's sacrificial living. And nobody, you know, likes to talk about that. Um, and I think it's important because what you do, Mitch, is a sacrifice. And I know you would say, I'm getting much more out of it than I'm giving to these kids. Correct. It's still a sacrifice of your time and your money. And, and that is what is really making the difference. And you don't have to have a lot of money or a lot of time to be able to make a difference in someone's life. Um, I know it's World Vision, you know, the wells that we're building, they're saving thousands of lives. You can save thousands of lives from your own home by, you know, sponsoring a child or sponsoring a well. So I think, you know, having, you're, you're absolutely right. You don't have to wait till the schedule is completely clear and uh you know that's almost impossible these days and it does bring so much to us um as human beings to do something for others yeah tell us a little bit you mentioned that your father was a journalist and as someone who started out in the newspaper business that that always Mm -hmm. warms my heart um and you studied journalism which we give yes. you great credit for. However, you studied it at Ohio State, which we must take points away for you because I live in Michigan, it's, and it's, I'm sorry. It's the Ohio State. Yeah, well, yeah, you didn't invent the, the word Ohio. the. I'm sorry. You just don't get to claim that. Uh, but uh, we'll, take, we'll, we'll forgive you for that because you're such okay, a nice person. thank you. Uh, but you, st- you, you did study. So at some point in your life, you thought about following your father's footsteps. What was it about journalism that attracted you? 
I'm, I was, I've been a big reader since I was, uh, I could read and I would eschew play dates in order to stay at home and read my book hmm. after school. And sometimes my play dates were, I would bring my book over to my friend's house and we would each read our own books sitting across from each other. And that was the play date. Um, and I love writing. Like I love books like on writing well and you know, all those, I love books on like, punctuation. It's just a weird thing. <laughs> wow. I'm a stickler about people using apostrophes where they shouldn't. Uh, really drives me nuts. So, you know, the possessive, they're always putting the possessive in, in, in when it's a plural. Anyway, but I, my perf- the performer in me, I remember I was doing some kind of uh, interview for my journalism class, and I was interviewing a guy from the, you know, some Sigma Nu or some fraternity about their Greek week float. And I remember thinking, I am so much more interesting than this guy. He should be interviewing me. <laughs> That's when I knew I was on the wrong side of yeah, the microphone. Yeah, time to get out of journalism. Yeah, because there's, a, there's, a, there's enough people already in quote-unquote journalism who think they're more interesting than the people they're interviewing. That's a big problem with journalism today, especially on television. That's exactly right. That's yeah. right. But were there were there some uh, you know I remember when 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 I went to journalism school I studied it at, at Columbia and I got a master's in it and that the first day of school uh, Osborne Elliott who was then I think the editor of Newsweek he gave the speech mm-hmm. you know to welcome everybody in and he gave this mm-hmm. such an inspiring speech about you know journalism being sort of a calling and that uh, you know you have to have a, a fire in the belly for you know helping people mm-hmm. and and that's why I asked you about it because you know some of what you're talking about with world vision and helping people there are strains of that when you first get into journalism I think it can get corrupted depending on yeah. where you're working and who you're working for it can get corrupted into right. having to look good for the cameras it can get corrupted into I'm going to shoot my mouth off really loud so that I get more money and I get more attention or whatever but if you go in that's for right. the right reasons at the beginning as I imagine you're father probably was because he comes from a different time when that was more of the principle it can be a very yes. principled field and it can be a field in which you want to do things for other people absolutely noble profession you know initially journalism you know how it's morphed with social media and the, the world we're living in now it's like a brave new world and yeah it's i think it's been distorted quite a bit and uh there's a lot of ego involved but yeah when you see really great journalism like uh, uh, Julie Brown at Miami Herald and her Epstein expose that took forever. I mean, that was just a heroic effort on her part. Mm. And uh, she's an amazing woman, and we don't see enough of that. And, and also because everybody needs clicks, and newspapers want sensational stories and then moving on. And to, that she had the time and the money and the resource they gave her to do that story and do that huge expose, which resulted in you know him going to prison, uh, it was amazing. So right. there's still hope, I think. Yeah, in pockets there most certainly is. Let, let me ask you again yeah. about uh, in, in your, your second act and the philosophy here. So I don't want people who are listening to us to feel that, well, well here's a really successful uh, actor, and of course, you know, she when she wants to take time and, and they, they court her for world vision and they fly her to all these amazing places, but I don't have a life like that. And what kind of difference yeah. am I going to make? I, I need to work to earn money. Uh, how am I going yeah. to approach the second act? So talk a little about how this is not something, I don't want it to get off the rails of being something that's for the privileged or for the people who are lucky enough to, they don't have to worry no. about where their meal's coming from. Yeah. 
No, and I, I'm totally sympathetic to people, especially during this pandemic, who are going to have to make a pivot and figure it out. And I think this book is full of really inspiring stories, most of which come from people encountering real difficulties in their lives and, and having no choice but to choose something else. So that, you know, those stories, some of these are big stories. You know, Tao Papua, who's an NFL football player, gets injured, ends up going to New York City and becoming an international opera singer. I mean, it's an inspiring story. Not many of us are going to do that. But, you know, I, there was also the story of um, my friend from uh, Carol Second Act, a wonderful actor, 80 years old. I was like, how did you, he did one scene with one line in our show. And I said, how did you, have you always been an actor? He said, no, I've been an industrial carpet salesman all my life. <laughs> and I went down the street to the community theater and I was terrible. And I've just, you know, I just kept doing plays and I got better and better and I got an agent and I've been, you know, working. He said, last year was super slow and now I'm getting some more uh, uh, auditions. And I thought that's a second act too. Yeah. That's why, you know, and, it, and it's not, he's not a star, um, but he, he's, you know, he's changed his life um, in a way that is really meaningful to him and has taken him on adventures and has him meet people he never would have met before. So it doesn't have, you don't have to start a business. You don't have to start a school. Um, you don't have to travel around the world to, you know, p- poverty stricken areas. You can be right in your neighborhood at the Boys and Girls Club. You can just start discovering the artist in yourself and take art classes. And what we've learned from the pandemic is there's so much information online. We're doing everything online. Kids are all in school online that it's easy to start exploring a new area for yourself through podcasts, through online classes, which are usually a lot cheaper than going back to school in person. Right. Um, and volunteering. I think those three things are a great way to start exploring, uh, expanding your life, whether you need to do it out of financial necessity or whether you're just feeling something in your spirit that says, I, I need to go. Ex- there's something else for me to do in this life. I need to go explore that. Do you think we also need to fight against stagnation? that it becomes very easy when you get into 40s, 50s, 60s to just say, well, I've always done this this way. This is my pattern. This is my routine. I'm not, quote unquote, that kind of person. And then we kind of convince ourselves that we can't move. Well, you know, my husband and I, I mean, we really got into this rut for a while of sitting and watching like we'd have our dinner and then we'd watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. And then, you know, we'd pick out some Netflix show. And literally, this was every night. And, you know, my niece was living with us, and she would come home every night from work, and she'd see us sit in front of the TV. And it just made me super aware that that's what we were doing, because she'd always see us Mm -hmm. every night. And I said, we have got to go out. We have got to start doing something. And I, I just think, you know, it just started feeling like, I don't want to say that we're done it just feels like we're telling the world, oh, well, we're done. And so, you know, producing this movie, we were in the middle of it when the pandemic hit. We had five days left to finish, and we have not been able to finish it yet. But it was exciting, and it was scary. And I remember sitting in a hotel room in Oklahoma City going, I could be at home by my pool. What am I doing here looking for a location in the middle of nowhere? Hmm. And yet, it's been an incredible experience, and it's you know, really lit a fire in me to continue to do more of this. 
So it is a little bit difficult to get out of our routines. And, you know, your metabolism slows and your energy is different. And um, it's a little hard. You have to really push. You have to push back against that complacency. How about, um, you mentioned that your kids had grown, you became an empty nester. Uh, A lot of times people, their identities tend to be wrapped up in, in parenthood. And the yes. problem that they run into is that when they no longer need to be a parent, their kids are then on, out on their own, they don't know where to go. They feel as if you yep. know, their, their role has ended in the play, so to speak. How do you combat yep. against that? How do you use what you've learned in parenthood and, and transition into a second act? Well, I, I've been fortunate that I was able to be a full-time mom and a full-time actress, and so the transition was a tiny bit easier for me. However, I felt that same thing of I lost a whole chunk of my identity when that last son went out the door. And you know what I found, Mitch? Uh, I started drinking more. Hmm. And I noticed it was, I just noticed it. And it's now been over two years since I've had a drink. Interesting. I thought, I am like responding to this new phase of my life in a way that's not really going to be helpful for me. And so that's been a huge step for me. But I think, um, I think that all our experiences as parents and the patience that we've learned, and we've learned how to deal with other human beings, and we've learned compassion, and I think all those skills are what the world needs. And I think we have to combat ageism in the workplace and really you know, get out there and share with the world our maturity and our wisdom. And, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, we just have to hope that the world is looking for that. Amen to that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's really true. I think sometimes people, I've had, uh, sometimes I go out and I'll, you know, I'll do a, a book tour or something and someone will come up and they'll say, oh, I love your books. And I'll say, well, uh, you know, what, what do you do? And they say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just a mother. <laughs> okay, oh that is gosh, the, the most significant job in the world, first of all. It is. And, and don't ever say you're a nobody, because there's no such thing as a nobody. But I, I think you, you've touched on something there that people don't realize the skills that you have to develop as a parent. All those things that you mentioned, patience, problem solving, uh, crisis management, you know, uh, how to walk people, yeah. yeah, how to walk people in off the ledge, you know, when your, your kids are having, having issues. <laughs> yeah. These are all things that translate to other types of things in the world, whether they be volunteering or a different kind of job or whatever. Uh, and if you just see them as skills, as opposed to something that shrivels on the vine after your after your child is gone, and and that is that a lot of that is just perspective, isn't it? It's just looking at yourself yes. as a valuable person, as opposed to saying my role is done. Yes, absolutely. And I feel um, like I'm such a much more calm person. Stuff doesn't rile me up because as you get older, you just see, you know, the world is is what it is. We're on this journey. Right. When you're young, you freak out about so much stuff. As you get older, you just, you know, priorities shift. You start seeing what's important, what's lasting. And it's not these little mini crises that we think we're in. It's the long-term relationships, uh, our community, our family, our loved ones. It's, that's what's important, and that's what you keep your eye on. And that's what you learn as you grow older. And you see things you thought were a big deal, and they weren't. 
and they're not, and you know that now, and you can pass that on and give that 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 wisdom and give that security to other people, to younger right. people. Right. So what what you're saying there is a part of a second act can doesn't even have to be a, 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 a an activity, a signing up, a new job. And it can be a change in attitude. It can be a change in in priorities. To use the word that you used, there's a great expression that I I believe to be true. Uh, that goes, we spend our youth giving our time away and our old age buying it back. And mm. what what it also, what it speaks to is, that, you know, when you're young, you just, you, you go do this, you go do that. You don't even think about how much time you're spending on it. Years you could spend on something. You're working on a project that doesn't go anywhere. And then when you get older, suddenly you become so aware of the time. And you, yes. become, you know, I don't, oh I don't want I don't want to waste a year on that. I don't have three years to give to that. If I start that now, I'll be, you know, fill in the blank when I'm done. I don't want that to happen. So what it speaks to is you, you just start looking at the same thing from a different angle. You walk around the back of it and then now you're seeing it differently. It is a change of priorities. Isn't that as much of a part of, of a person's second act as even what they do with it? Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, Mitch, I, uh, the actresses that mentored me, the older actresses, so Linda Lavin was my first sitcom. I have an incredible Doris Roberts. Um, mm. These women were so important as, for me as a young actress, really showing me the ropes and just everything about it from, you know, being on set, how, you know, they are the stars of the show and, and they set a tone and what that tone is and their leadership on the set, their work ethic, you know, just the way they treated people and just, you know, on how also, I mean, with Linda Lavin in particular, how to just enjoy your life and, you know, just the joy that she got out of uh, doing houses and working with young women and mentoring. So that mentoring is so important. I've found recently I'm the oldest person on the set now. I'm the one that gets to, you know, sort of give my wisdom to Mm. younger actresses and be there for them and be somebody they can come and talk to. And I realize how important that is. And I think that there's a lot of young people in this world who don't have a mature adult that they can talk to. And there's ways to be big brother and big sister, or if you have the capability of fostering kids, or but just coming into people's lives who don't have that uh, is so important because I saw how it really helped me as a young actress in Hollywood. And, you know, I'm trying to be that for, for other women and, and for my own kids. Uh, and I think that's something we, we all have to offer. Yeah. Teaching, mentoring, guiding. It's amazing yes. uh, what, what you have inside you when you reach a certain age. It also prompts me to ask you a question because Hollywood and, and the acting business is so cruel to people who mm. begin to age. And when I say begin mm. to age, I mean like hit 30. So how do you, <laughs> how do you uh, deal with that? You know, because there are other industries that do that too. It's not just acting. There are plenty of industries, particularly for women, I feel unfairly so, that, that they start to value the younger version. Uh, the cheaper yeah. version sometimes in many cases. And, and you can yeah. start to feel like age is a curse. Uh, like, oh, please don't let me get another year older because I'm going to become that much less desirable to the workplace that I'm in. How do you combat that? Well, I didn't actually start my career till I was in my 30s. So I'm, I'm sort of a, a walking miracle. 
But mm. um, uh, I am feeling it for sure. I'm 62. And the, the kind of stuff that people are kind of offering you now, you know, it's definitely a different genre, which is okay, because I'm at a certain age. And, and there's, uh, you know, my stories are different now. And, and that's okay. Um, it's hard. And I think, you know, I think for me, pivoting into producing is a, a great way of taking everything I've learned as an actor and pouring it into this different area of the entertainment business. And, and instead of telling somebody else's story and, you know, to bring stories that I'm interested in and producing them for the world. So telling the stories that I want to tell, even if I'm not in it. So, you know, that's a, a great adjustment. And I think you see, especially for women in the entertainment industry, they women branch out into a lot of producing and mm -hmm. directing much more now than we were doing before. So I think that helps combat it. And also, listen, I've, I've never been hired for my looks. So I think it's harder for actresses who've been primarily hired. Obviously, they have talent, but they're great beauties. I think the adjustment is more difficult for them than it would be for someone like me who's primarily a character actress. But yeah. uh, it is definitely roles are changing. There are not as many for older actresses. However, television has always been very, very good to women and very, very good to older actresses. Mm. So I feel very fortunate, even though, you know, the movie industry is sort of the gold standard that everybody thinks about the Oscars. Television has always been a great home for women. So I feel grateful that that's where I landed, because I think you have uh, a, a longer career if you're a television person. Right, right. Uh, but even for people who aren't in the acting field or in the television field, nobody should be ashamed of their age. Age is, uh, you know, and this is, Maury and I spent a lot of time talking about this because here I was a younger man visiting an older dying man, you know, and, and there were many times where I would just say to him, you know, I, I'm embarrassed almost, you know, like I'm embarrassed that I can walk. I'm embarrassed that I can, that I can fly in and see you in the morning and get on an airplane and fly home and, and, and you can't even leave the room. You know, you have ALS. You can yeah. be carried from place to place. And I asked him once, you know, how do you keep from envying me, my youth? Because envy of youth is, is, a, is a very basic tenet of American life, unfortunately. It's in our advertising. It's in everything that we do. And he was very wise about it. And he said, you know, why would I envy where you are? I've already been where you are. You yeah. should envy me, you know, uh, I've got yeah. 40 years on you. And and he was yeah. right, you know. He, I mean, I didn't know at that time I was 30-something. I didn't know that I was going to live to be 78. Uh, I still don't. Uh, he had achieved that already. And I think that that's part yeah. of also how you approach a second act is 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 not to be ashamed of your age, but to, to wear it as a badge, you know, that you've you've survived this long You've done this much. You've lived this long. You've seen this much of the world, uh, and yep. you know a thirty-year-old can't can't remember what was going on in the world twenty years ago uh, or forty years ago because they weren't in it. That's, That's a valuable absolutely thing, right? Absolutely, I would not want to go back. I'm really happy at this stage of my life. In fact, Jerry Seinfeld has a great HBO comedy special where the first half of it, he talks about how great it is to be in your 60s because you don't ever have to do anything you don't want to do ever again. <laughs> I've seen know? that, yeah. yeah. And he's, he's so right, you know, and he said you just don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And there is just a sort of freedom 
as you get older and you don't feel constrained by having to achieve something so other people think you're special or important. And, you know, you it, the, the thing about starting to really sense your own mortality is that a lot of the sort of nonsense that that surrounds us of trying to do things to impress other people or whatever, it falls away. Mm-hmm. When you really see, you know, God willing, I hopefully have 30 years left, maybe 25 really good ones with an extra five thrown on just to be sitting around in. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, you know, that's not long because my last 20 years seem to have flown by. Right. So another 30, 25 or 30 years, it's going to go fast. And you just become aware of it. And you see that, you know, I'm not going to waste my time trying to impress other people anymore. I want to do something that's going to help somebody. I want to really appreciate every day I'm given. Uh, and I, I think that's what, you know, I, I think that's what comes across in the book, too, is this people really making the most of what has been given to them. And as you get older, it becomes more important. The book is called Your Second Act, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Patricia. We have a lot of things in common outside of the fact that we're about two months apart in age, uh, and we both like <laughs> orphanages, and, uh, we, and we both hit and, and, and went reading instead of hanging out with other kids, and we both have journalism. I feel like I'm talking to my shadow self here in some, in some regard, yeah. but uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you a little Thank bit. Thank you. you. Thank you I for sharing. I appreciate you having me on. Take care. It's been a pleasure. Patricia Heaton joining us there. I think there's a lot of really good lessons there, Lisa, that uh, yes. that our audience can appreciate. And, you know, not to go with fear or trepidation into your second or sometimes third acts. That, yeah. that, that you know, there was, a, there was a wonderful book written many years ago called Passages. Gail Sheehy, I think, wrote it. Yes. Um, and it was— Great book. It, yeah. It just said, look, you're not the first person— and you won't be the last person mm-hmm. to go from being really young to being middle-aged, to go from being single to being married, to go from being married to being divorced or widowed, uh, to go from being uh, no children to a parent to a grandparent, to go from being employed to retired. These are all passages. That's what, that, was yeah. the theor- that was the theory of that book. These are passages that we go through. They're human. And they're not to be avoided, and they're not to be dreaded. And the fact that you get a second act in and of itself should be celebrated, because not everybody oh, gets a yeah. second act. You know, I mean, I wrote a book about our little girl. She died at seven. Uh, yeah. She didn't even get a first act. So the dread of, oh, my God, and now I'm, gonna, I'm middle-aged. or Well, be grateful that you're middle-aged. Be grateful that you're alive to experience middle age. I know I'm a senior now. I can't believe it. I'm 60. I looked at my license, or someone asked me, you know, do you want the senior discount? Or I'm so embarrassed. Why? This is, oh, this heck is the yeah. stage. Embrace you're the lucky. senior discount. <laughs> yeah. You're lucky to have reached this age and still be here and make the most of it. I think that, yeah. Yeah, we have so many friends who haven't lived this long, you know, that have died in their 50s or 40s. Right. And I tell my husband that all the time. Every time he complains about his age, I'm like, you have lived to this age, you know, embrace it. I'm, you know, I'm starting a second act now. I have a whole project in the works for this coming year, and I'm really excited about it. You know, I'm trying to make it my next thing. We are the age we are, and we are in the act that we are in, and- be grateful that we're here 
to be part of the play. You know, be right, grateful that exactly. you're in the second act. Be grateful that you get a third act. She was, Patricia Heaton was talking about adding 25 years onto 62. That takes her to 87. And then five for good measure, which takes her to 92. Yeah. God bless her. I hope she gets all of that. So, yeah, celebrate where you are. Celebrate the act you're in. And don't be afraid of the act that's coming up. We've all gone through them. The lucky ones of us get second acts. The lucky ones of us get third acts. See it as something to be appreciated I know Maury did. I know that uh, even he even viewed his disease as a final act. Even though yep. it was a terrible thing physically to go through, he called it his horrible, wonderful disease. And those two years that he suffered from ALS before he died were a coda to a life that had been completely different up till that point. Uh, and right. yet was in many ways, like he likened it to the leaves on the trees when they're about to die. What happens to a leaf when it's about to die? It's its most colorful, right? It's brilliant, brilliant oranges and brilliant reds. I'm looking out the window here in, in Michigan where I'm seeing those colors right now. Those are a passage. Those are, those are colors, right. colors of passages preceding death and yet most brilliant in their time. And we can be the same way. Well, and look at Maury's second act slash third act is this. I mean, he's, his act is continuing long after he's gone, which is amazing. That's right. It's never too late, Mitch. It's never too late. And uh, we're (laughs) glad that you joined us for this, this part of the act. And uh, I got to hear Patricia Heaton, uh, who I've known as an actress, but until today, didn't know all the other things that were going on with her. So with the exception of the Ohio State thing, all good. (laughs) Uh, we hope you enjoyed this program. You can always find more about Tuesday People at WeTuesdayPeople.com on the web, WeTuesdayPeople.com. You can see all of our previous shows, and you can get involved in discussion groups on some of the topics that we have, etc. Lisa, it's been fun. Thanks for helping put this always. together, as you always do. And uh, on behalf of Lisa Goitsch, Mitch Album here saying, we will see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People.